When you hear the phrase first-gen American, what comes to mind? Oscar Velasquez, a first-generation American, wants to enlighten your mind to everyday life as a first-gen in today's America. There is a perception in today's society, and Oscar is going to dive in and dissect the reality of being a first-gen. Join Oscar and his guests from all walks of life, discussing their trial and tribulations in today's America. Now your host, Oscar Velasquez. Happy Friday morning. Welcome to another episode of First Gen American. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. If you watched our latest sneak peek, you know that our special guest today is Eva Castillo. Welcome to the show, Eva. Gracias. <laughs> First of all, we're so happy uh, and grateful that you can join us today. And uh, we spoke briefly uh, a couple of minutes um, on the phone, but then we actually got into deep conversation last Friday, and I was truly inspired by some of the conversations that we've had and how powerful and inspiring you are as not only a Latina, but somebody that's pushing the needle forward in this community, and you've been a, a staple here. So I'm truly, truly grateful <clears throat> to have you, and um, and I'm grateful to, 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 to get inspired by your story and, and that you're able to share today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I hope I can live up to your expectations. You you know what? That's how we met. You you have already um you, we got connected through a mutual friend and she said you have to have Eva on your show cuz she's truly inspirational and and she wasn't she wasn't wrong. Uh we're going to dive right in. Uh can you tell me a little bit about what you do in the community? Well, I'm a community organizer. Uh and I'm an advocate. And my job is to just advocate for the rights of immigrants. And since I'm a member of the Latino community and I have been working with the Latino community practically all my life since I came here in the 70s, uh, you know, I really have a soft spot for Latinos and our issues. And uh, anything that attains to them, I'm there and I want to support them and I want us to be fully included in every aspect of society and to be able to claim our voice. What, um, what inspired you to get involved? Uh, when I came here as a student in the 70s, in 76, I went to Michigan and I realized that just by crossing a border, I had to start from zero. So I left, you know, nobody, like I tell my friends, nobody care who your daddy was, what city you grew up in, how much money you had, you were nobody. So I went instantly from being a member of a privileged minority to being a member of the unprivileged minority by just crossing a border and entering an airport. And for the first couple of weeks, it was kind of annoying. But then I said, you know, I'm a rebel at heart anyways. So I said, oh, this is cool, you know. I am in the same boat with people that I at home I would have never come across with, let alone have to sit next to them or be part of whatever. So I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to fight as hard as I can to raise the bar and make sure that we're all treated with the dignity and respect that we that we deserve. So I came here to study business and the plan was for me to go back home and take over business, but I found my passion here. So I'm so thankful that that I find found something that that moves me, something that gives me fuel and passion, and I never wanted to do anything else. 
what so for the listeners that are listening um <clears throat> that don't know in depth your background we I know that you actually came from Canada. Not from Venezuela. Venezuela, but you crossed the border from Canada. No. I I went through the regular channels to go to school. Yeah. To to go to college in Michigan. When I moved through uh to from uh Kalamazoo, Michigan where I went to school to New Hampshire, then we crossed from Canada by my um with my husband who's from Manchester because okay. he was shorter that okay. way. Wow. So Basically, you were, you were born in Venezuela, and when did when did you leave Venezuela? At what age? I was nineteen. Nineteen. Yes. And from Venezuela, you went directly to Canada. No, I I never lived in Canada. I just passed through Canada. Passed to move, through Canada to move to move here when we we drove my car basically. Okay. So it was no, I never lived. I always lived in either in Michigan, and I worked there at the Latino Center as a volunteer when I was a student. And then I moved to New Hampshire, and I went straight to the Latino Center when I got to Manchester, and I have never done anything other than that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What are what are some of the issues that you faced when you first uh, migrated over? Well, in, when I first came to uh, Manchester, it was really annoying because there was first the first shock was my visual shock coming from Michigan. That is such a high pop- black population right. that I would not see a black person if my life depended on it. So it was really weird visually. And I asked my husband, where are the black people here? And he used to tell me, no, there's no, I think I went to school with one, but uh, there are no black people here. So it was really hard. And then the lack of information that people have about the world, you know, every time I open my mouth, people will say, oh, uh, I hear an accent. Uh-huh. Uh, where are you from? Venezuela. Where is Venezuela in South America? Oh, but you're white. So it was, it did not fail. Every single time I opened my mouth, I had to go through accent geography lesson and you're white. And it was so annoying. I used to tell my husband, we're the third world country, you know? <laughs> so, but now I see, so I've seen how we have grown. Now we have people from all races and all colors and all countries and you know, so we are like microcosms of, of, of the U.S. at large, really. But it, it has been a, a really uh, interesting process. What And what year was this? Around what year? I moved to Manchester in 82. Okay. And what would, what would you say the, the Latin population, the Hispanic population was at that time in New Hampshire? It was very small. Um, the in Manchester there were uh, there was a large population of people from Uruguay uh, that uh, came because one of the textile mills in uh, in Manchester had a, a sister organization whatever in in Montevideo in Uruguay so they brought a bunch of those people here you know mm-hmm. but the people from Uruguay are mostly descendants from Italians and and uh, Portuguese and Spanish so they're pretty white right um, the so, complexion. Yes. The, so, the, in fact, the founder of the Latino Center was one very wealthy Uruguayan. She was raised in Europe, and she was married to Bill Shaheen here, who's a very powerful attorney. So, I, I not Bill Shaheen, to Eileen uh, Finney, Bill Finney. So, Eileen Finney was the founder of the Latino Center, and she did that so the Uruguayans would have a place uh, that would they feel that they belonged and, and to help them learn English and to, you know. So it was really uh, 
and, and that woman worked until, you know, a week prior to her death in, in that thing as a volunteer. In, in it was really awesome to, to meet her and to, to be uh, nurtured by her and, and taught so many things by her. And throughout those 30 years, um, you know, of, of when you first got here and, you know, and, and finding a mentor through that organization, where has the process, where has the process gone? Like, where are they now? Well, like, you know, like, I like the idea of your program, Next Gen, yeah. this, like, this year away, and they're already in their third generation. Right. So their their third generation are in high school right now, and they're fully uh, assimilated, if you can use that word, that it's not one of my favorites, but, you know, uh, they're fully assimilated. Some of them have become attorneys, and it, and they pretty much kept their language, which is pretty amazing. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're just part of society, just like any other, uh, you know, ethnic group that comes here. I know we, we touched base a little bit about, you know, losing the language that of the origin of where we come from and the country that we've mm-hmm. come from. Um, do you think that as you see generations evolving here within the state or in America, that especially Hispanics or Latinos, that they're losing that language. They don't, they don't see it as uh, important. They're just English is what we speak here. And that's, I mean, we don't need to communicate with our loved ones because, you know, our, our grandparents are kind of, you know, they're passing away and our parents are adapting to the language and you hear the stigma. This is America speak English. So you kind of, you kind of conform to that. You feel like less and less, as we evolve, we're forgetting our language. Yes. And it's very unfortunate because, you know, I, I see the other side. I see all the Americans trying to learn Spanish and right. wishing they had paid attention in Spanish class yeah, when yeah. they were in high school. <laughs> and here we are, native speakers, trying to fit in, right. which is such a shame. Because you know what? If you do not fit in, you just make space for yourself, you know? Right. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle until you make a bigger space for yourself. <laughs> but we do not need to erase who we are, to forget our roots, to forget. And such an asset that, you know, a second language. And, and whether people like it or not, Spanish is the second language in this country. We are the largest, uh, you know, bilingual minority here. So it is an asset to speak Spanish. And I hope, you know, the, the people that are listening to the show today, instill that love for our language and instill the fact that uh, speaking a different language, even if you speak like me with an accent, is still an asset. You're still up one notch over people that are totally monolingual. Mm. You know, so I don't know why people get the perception, uh, our, our, our children and our youth get the perception that, that, uh, it, we're less than because we speak another language in addition to English. Right. So I want to shift that. I think that that's important. Yes. What are the issues that we, uh, as Latinos, that we face in New Hampshire today? Well, we first we have the stigma that uh, Latinos that are here are undocumented. Mm. I don't like to use the I word, so I'm not going to use it. Okay. Uh, and that's not so. Most of the people that are here 
have their papers and a piece of paper to tell you the truth doesn't really make you any less or any better than anybody to begin with. So they have that stigma. Uh, they have, you know, we have a problem with definitely the institutions that are so hard to navigate for a person of color. Uh, even though, you know, being a Latino is not a race, being Hispanic is not a race, uh, but that's what they, you, you know, I, and when I used to work as an interpreter, every time that they asked for the race question, people would ask me, what, what am I? Yeah. You know, because we really don't have that much of that. And it's not such a big deal for us. We make it a big deal in this country, but I don't, I really never paid much attention. And I never heard of anybody paying any attention, regardless of what race they were, you know, and I'm sure there's some type of discrimination, but we, it's not. We are more socioeconomic status conscious, I think. Right. Uh, so that's one of the problems. Then people, you know, the fact that they don't speak English, uh, a lot of them makes them like invisible. So after a while, it's like they embrace that invisibility. Even people that, are, that have become citizens, they tend to just, you know, lay low and not cause any way. So they don't really get involved in the issues in the community. Uh, they don't come to City Hall and testify that the Board of Mayor and Aldermen, mm-hmm. or, or they don't go to the State House. They don't, they don't really participate in any civic activity in the city. They just go to work and back and forth, and that's it. So uh, people tend to overlook us, but, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, it's our fault. Uh, or tokenize the ones that speak up, you know? And like I say, like I usually tell people, just because you know me, I'm not the queen of Latinos and I don't represent every single Latino and I would not be so arrogant as to claim that. Right. So, you know, uh, and also like we were talking the other day, we're over 20 different countries. So just because we speak one language doesn't mean that, that we are, we have, we have to be expected to behave as one because we're not. So it's like the Irish and the British and the Australians and the Americans. You speak English, but you're not made to behave as one block of people. And here, mm-hmm. somehow, they expect us to be one block, which mm-hmm. we're not. I think that a lot of people, they say, well, you, they speak Spanish. But wait, there's 20 different dialects or ways of, of expressing. And cultures. Right. And you hit you hit it right on the head um, when you said about becoming a citizen, thriving for that American dream, mm-hmm. working hard. the The odds are against you. Oh, yeah. As soon as you get here, yes. And you be, you achieve that American dream. You become a citizen, and yet you still don't get involved. You still don't get involved because the systems are not designed to really, you know, entice people to get involved. Or to get involved, you, like I said before, you have to make your room. And it's uncomfortable. You know, I show up, even if people don't invite me, I show up. And, you know, and I understand that some people take it the wrong way. Well, too bad. I'm part of this community. I fought hard to become a citizen. I paid thousands of dollars. I Mm. went through all the process. So I am not going to be treated as a second-class citizen. Right. Going back to the youth, um, as the Latinos, you know, they, they have the privilege of being U.S. citizens. Yeah. Why so much disconnect and, and no involvement 
I mean, we have a significant few. We've invited them to the show, like Manny Espiria. Oh, yeah. He's a roof. And could build a statue for Manny. <laughs> he's an amazing individual yes, for sure. Yes. And we have significant few. And yet, instead of coming together and supporting another, another um, fellow Hispanic or brother or sister that's doing movement within the community, there, there's a sense of disconnect and discouragement when you give it your all and then all of a sudden they say, well, there it goes. It's part of the stigma. Why are we why are we screaming so loud if we're not being heard? Well, you know, changing systems requires thick skin, mm. requires patience and perseverance. Because it's all about power. And power can be defined in many different ways, but it it is all about you claiming your power and taking it. No one's gonna give it to you and it's not gonna happen overnight. The status quo is comfortable with the way things are, and they have no reason to be uncomfortable, and they really have no reason to see things any other way because that's their reality. So we need to to get other people to see our reality. And just like I was telling you the other day, you know, if you if I draw a six in between the two of us, my six is your nine. So it's just a different perspective. So, you know, doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. It's just that we have different realities. We have different realities. So, uh, and just because you have a different reality doesn't mean that you're attacking the other person. And we need to be strategic about it. So it it is, you know, it can be discouraging. You know, I'm blessed with being stubborn and and. So um, no one's going to tell me what to be and how to behave and what to believe. But, yeah, I can see that how it's and, and we, you know, let's face it, we have this young generation tend to be very, um, they like instant gratification. They're not used Conformed. to. Yes. Yeah. No, and they, you know, they want things to happen right now, right away. Yeah. And, and, and that's not the way things work, unfortunately. And, and, you know, there's so many um, things that are unfair, uh, but, you know, li- that's life. Life is not fair. And, and you know, we have to le- learn to, to use all those disadvantages as fuel to fire us. You know, I get angry, but my anger fuels me. I get angry, but I'm all about peace. I get angry, and but I'm all about trying to to converse with the other party and try to find common ground. And if we look for it, we can find it. Sometimes, you know, fighting is not the best answer sometimes because people put up their defenses. So if you cannot get through the front door, find a side door. And many people have a side door if you find it. Mm. But it takes time. We touched base when we spoke last Friday about the youth. And this is part of my my mantra, you know, we're, we're ambassadors, we're translators. Yes. Do you feel that the embarrassment sometimes that they feel of like, why doesn't my parents just understand or speak the language and I have to translate? And it gives them, we talk, we, we touch base on this. It gives them a sense of power. Over the parents. Over the parents, you know, especially at a young age when you're, when your guidance counselor calls you in and, you know, you have to translate about mm-hmm. issues that are going on. You're not paying attention or a doctor's appointments or bill collector or going to court, or et cetera. That sense of 
for that individual that felt that embarrassment, what's the message that you have for them? Your parents made a huge sacrifice to come to this country to give you a better life. Count your blessings and honor your parents. Uh, and, and I understand, but that's part of the, re- the, the, the thirst to fit in. Mm. And, and that, that uh, shame that people have of not being your uh, whatever average American is. Uh, and, you know, because we have, you know, we are bombarded indirectly with messages that if you're not white American, Anglo-Saxon, you're less than. And these are just subliminal things, but we're bombarded wherever we go with that. Right. So people do their best to fit in that mold, whatever mold there is of perfection. And, and, and yeah, and I've seen how. You know, uh, they feel embarrassed or they manipulate their parents. Like yesterday, I just got a call from a mother and she told me her 13-year-old and her 12-year-old are not going to school. They're not locking in. And she said, I go to work every day. Their father was deported a couple of years ago. And now they're going to get me in trouble because they refuse. They, they, and, you know, and they have computers. They have uh, Wi-Fi. They have everything. And they, how can I make them, you know? And she doesn't probably understand what's going on. No, she doesn't. And she's totally powerless because her English is bad. So the kids are the ones mm-hmm. that end up, you know, making decisions and going to the hospital and doing all kinds of things for her. And you call this. So they feel that in a way they they don't feel uh, that respect that a, a mother should have. Wow. Yeah. So that's another fault of the system that fails to recognize that. And a child should never be you know, put in a position to, to have power over their own parent. or And frankly, there's so many things that a child should not know about. Lack of representation within the school systems to communicate with the parents. That's right. Mm. Yeah. And also, you know, if you go to the school systems, how many teachers of color do they have? How many, uh, you know, are role models? We lack role models. We, you know, every single person that cleans the toilets, those are the the, the, the role models mm. of, for the kids of color. But, you know, they don't see the administrators. They don't see teachers. Even the teachers that are uh, the Spanish teachers are Americans right. that speak English, the Spanish like I speak English with an accent and everything. You know, I would not dare teach English. Today, our special guest, Eva Castillo, she is talking about her journey and her background within this state. And um, we're so grateful to have you. Eva, let's talk a little bit about, you know, representation. Uh, How do you feel about the representation here in the state of New Hampshire and the organizations of who uh, their intentions are good? Uh, Well, we have, like I said, very little representation and good intentions, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. Uh, and many times, you know, I, when I speak to my activist friends, uh, I, you know, I, I have to be honest with them. And I say, you know what? Your good intentions, and I know you're fighting hard, but at the same time, the way you go about it is perpetrating the same systems that you in your heart think are changing. Mm. You know, like say now, like, say, I'm sorry to interrupt. Say that again. 
Like, like you know, I see it like with immigration. In, with immigration, now this immigration is the flavor of the yeah. day because activists, they go from one issue to the other, right, right, which right. is so annoying. You know, I've been doing immigration. That's it forever. That's all, the only thing I do if I choose to go do something else. But my passion and my thing is so they go from one thing to another. And, it's, you know, so now it's immigration. Everybody and their neighbor is doing immigration, which I appreciate. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's like none of you is an immigrant, none of you has a background, none of you. But they all feel entitled to step in front of me and speak for me. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I have my own voice. First of all, I appreciate you, but your role as an ally, and that's the difference, an ally stands beside me or behind me and gives me the mic. You're not going to speak for me. Like I, you know, I'm all for LGBT rights, but I am not one of them. So I would never step in front of them and speak for them. Right. So the role of the of the allies is to use their white privilege to open doors for us, to build a beautiful platform, but hand the mic mm. to those people that they're trying so desperately to help. And also I see a lot of the foundations, they... Spend a ton of money building all kinds of programs, but, you know, it's what they think that those people need, what they think would help them instead of taking into, going to those communities and say, what is it that you really need? You know, so it's all beautiful, good intentions, (laughs) the best, but if, and I realize that, you know, sometimes people, and, and. You know, I'm very candid and, and I cannot help it. I try to practice saying things in a more softer tone, but that's not my personality. I tried, you know, and it still comes out the, just the way I have it. And I have no intentions of offending people. But at the same time, I, I see if I if I keep my mouth shut, people keep working hard for nothing and right. perpetuating the same systems of inequity that we have when they're trying so hard to 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 change things for the better you know election is right around the corner we're less than 40 days away yes some people some people are saying please don't get political please don't get political be careful what you say but everything is politics be careful what you say oscar you know on the radio sometimes people are listening i said forget all that you know because we have to express what's really going on i I see a lot of politicians they got their photo ops. They got to vote for me mm-hmm. at the end with their little slogan. And I see white person, white person, white person, one yep. white person, one black person that doesn't do a commentary, just kind of yeah, in for the, the background. Picture. Yeah, for the picture for of the, the video yep. in the background yep. Um, yep. talking with nothing them saying comes up or live. And then I see no Hispanic. And I've seen that with two major politicians here, representatives of this state. And I'm looking and I'm looking at the news and I'm looking at their ad and I'm saying, I'm waiting for the Hispanic. Yeah. I've been waiting for a really long time now. Yeah. Not in sight. Yeah, I know. And, and that's part of us being overlooked. And that's part of both political parties taking our votes for granted. And that's also the, far, the, the fault of our community for, first of all, for allowing ourselves to be tokenized. And secondly, for not really saying, you know what, you don't do anything for me. I'm not doing anything for you, mm-hmm. you know, because I get my door knocked every two years. I am so famous, yeah, yeah. you know, and I said, no, you, I'm, I'm not going to work for no for no political party, for no candidate, because you guys don't do anything for me. And as far as 
diversity for the picture because that's how I call it. You know, let's be real about everybody talks about diversifying, diversifying mm. the need for diversity, but all they want is somebody that they can put in a picture, but they're not really interested whether consciously or unconsciously. And I, I, I want to say that they have the best of intentions because they do have the best. But that the reality is that once they get that diversity through the door, they do not want to hear what the diverse point of view. They want you to fit in their culture, which is totally counterproductive to diversity. Mm. So you end up just being for the picture. So until they realize with their good intentions, again, that they're still doing the same thing, that diversity is not only about putting a nice, colorful picture, but taking in diverse ideas and diverse points of view and accepting them. It's all about accepting them. And, you know, then we're not going to be diverse. So I really don't think people are really ready for diversity because it also it also requires sharing power. Eva, we love what you're doing within the community. Oh, my God. Quick, photo op. Thank you very much. We'll reach out to you later. <laughs> All right. We see it. We see it time and time again. Uh, young Latinos that are doing such amazing work within the community. Uh, it starts with, you know, it starts with, you know, Chamber of Commerce and uh, I reached out to the Chamber of Commerce uh, f- for my city a couple of a couple of months back before the pandemic, and <clears throat> they praise a lot of young, young entrepreneurs and white, 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 mm-hmm. no Hispanic. And then I see my friends that are opening restaurants downtown that are thriving. That shout out to them for you know still staying open while a pandemic and That's this, right. you know not not receiving a handout and if they do, it's still not going to be enough to keep them stable, and yet no recognition. Yeah, um, I know that you know I know that there's a long road ahead of us, but I think it starts within our community. I agree, and it's, you know what I'm so I'm so inspired by you and what you're doing because. Let's face it, I am aging out and and people, you know, like you don't connect with me already. I'm part of the grandmother, you know. No, No, but it's true. You know, they need somebody that they can see themselves in. And and, and when I hear your energy and when, you know, I was following you since you decided to start getting money out of all the incidents that happened here. And and so this is so awesome. So I have a lot of faith that that the youth that has been raised here, regardless of whether they were born here or not, but you're raised here. You you do not have the barrier of the language. You do not have the barrier of having to learn new systems that, that are foreign to you. You do not have so many barriers. Yet you face a lot of barriers, but you you have a lot easier in a way. And if you have the energy and, and the passion, you can make so many more things happen. You know, I... I'm, um, first of all, I'm grateful you said that, and, I, and I'm and I'm thankful. Uh, I, on the drive here this morning, I was I was kind of thinking. I was like, sometimes I get a little, you know, I, the guys, you know, the team that helps me, um, Jasmine, Chris, Manny. Sometimes I get nervous, you know. I'm like, wow. And then, and then uh, Chris goes, he goes, man, we're we're five episodes in. We're this is going to be our sixth one. I mean, what are you still nervous about? We we're doing great. It's like sometimes you step 
into I, I'm I like to step into an uncomfortable situation where nothing holds me down and it's okay. I reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I reinvent right. myself. So n- there's nothing that nobody can tell me to to either succeed or fail. It's all lessons to me. That's right. Do you know what I'm saying? So it and and I and I think about and what inspires me is the generation that came before me that gave me this opportunity. They had nothing. Mm-hmm. They, nobody was waiting for them on the other side. Nope. No money on their pocket. No handout. No opportunity. No game plan. And for me, I, I, I feel that energy and it, and it runs through me and I'm like, okay, this is for them. So when you say, you know, you're aging out and I'll carry that torch for us because it's important that your legacy and your, and your sacrifices never go unheard. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you're inspiring the newer generation and then, you know, your generation will pave the road for the future generation. So you, I have no doubt that we're going to do great things, but change requires time and commitment. Mm. And, you know, and patience, and like patience and a lot of frustration because mm. you lose many more than you win. And so any little thing that you that you win, you've been working so hard mm. to to, you know, but but it is worth it. Yeah. And that, that is the concept of this country. And look at every single a group, ethnic group that has moved to the country has gone through that. The Italians, the Irish, the French Canadians here, right. you know. And but, but then after they make it, they, it's their turn to step on the ones that are coming. Mm. So I hope that our Latino community does what we do best, which is embrace everybody. And when we finally make it, we do not turn around and say, oh, now it's my turn to step on the newcomers, that we do the exact opposite, that we embrace them and that we help them and that we really build the nice platforms for them to mm. stand on their own. We've been, we've been blessed um, in the community of Nashville to have the support system to say, we want to know what, we want to know the unknown, you know, and we want to hear these stories because it's, it's, it's part of our evolution. It's part of our, they are part of our community and we are one. So I'm thankful I can't say this enough always for everybody that donated and made this possible. How do you feel about people that want to help the immigration cause, but they don't have a platform to give? Everybody has a platform. You know, you member of a church, you can go talk to your church members. You are a, a an elector official, you can speak to your fellow elector officials. You're a member of a community, you can speak to, to your community. We have, I put together a presentation called Immigration 101 to teach my allies because they had no clue from, you know, how dif- the difference between a refugee and a Masai and the different categories to get a green card and how hard it is. And then, you know, citizenship after five years of having, I mean, they had no clue. So I just put together and I've been going to all kinds of little churches mm-hmm. uh, all over the state to doing that presentation. In fact, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing my first Zoom one, which is annoying. But, you know, like you said, we need to adapt to, to whatever. I would like to put that on, on our on our Facebook, if you don't mind, like when, whenever you have that uh, presentation okay. recorded and kind of just pass that along. Yeah. Because people, people need to understand, first of all, how hard it is, the, the immigration system. And now with this administration, and I'm not afraid to say it, it's even harder. Mm. Because instead of making it easier, they have put more barriers as if we did not have enough barriers to begin with. Right. 
uh, and this is not a, a partisan issue. It's just a reality. Um, so people don't understand that, you know, first of all, uh, to become a legal permanent resident is expensive. Mm. And there's only so many paths that you can take and many people have no path. There's no path for them. And then to become a first, you have to become a permanent resident to be, uh, in order to become a citizen later on down there. So it's, it's expensive and it's complicated and people don't understand because they really had no reason to, to know anything about it. So don't judge before you know. Right. And I find that that's something a lot of people assume that, oh, well, they've been here for 25 years. How come they're uh, still illegal? You know, and they don't understand how hard it is and, and nobody wants to be here without their proper documentation but we all have the right to eat and to work and to raise our family just like those people's ancestors came here and there was no way to be here illegally mm. they just showed up right. and that's it so in a way you know they were blessed by not having a system that imposes quotas and all kinds of numbers how do you feel the Latino involvement in issues such as immigration and education is going? Latinos don't usually get involved in immigration out of fear, but even those that should have no fear because they're here with everything, that they're U.S. citizens. And, and I don't know why it is. I find that I'm usually, you know, one of maybe two or three Latinos that that are in in all this mess uh, at the forefront, um, so I don't I don't understand why the fear and and it is really a source of frustration because then I end up being the only Latino speaking for those people, you know, and, and it's annoying. But little by little, we just, you know, I work with whoever's willing to be there. And if, you know, they don't want to come out, so be it, you know. And also, we have a, we we can be targeted too. This is, we right. have a small population of Latinos right. here. So, you know, years ago, we had a, we had a rally here in Nashua City Hall. And uh, we put one of the, one of the people that spoke in that rally was undocumented. And, you know, we always tell them their fear, and but that's their decision. It's not me to say, no, I'm going to protect you. You know, if they want to come out, I'm not going to say no. Um, and two days later, immigration came and picked them up. Jeez. So, you know, uh, so there is a very legitimate fear uh, for speaking. And it's also part of that insecurity that, you know, that people have of being the other even if you have papers, you're invisible and that you assume that. And after a while, you just start behaving like you're a nobody. But also, you know, New Hampshire, and this is what gets me excited about you doing this. And, mm -hmm. and, and New Hampshire is a small state. You can make so many changes here because we're so small. If we were in Los Angeles, you know, we're one of millions and nobody cares who you are. But here you can make a name for yourself and you can make noise and people will hear it eventually. You know, so we can make so many changes here if we get our mind to it and if we all get get it together. And if we all put ourselves in the same page to move forward, we can do it. Get involved. That's right. How do you feel that there's 
the Latino community is getting more involved within their communities. And for that person that wants to thrive, do you think that there's uh, enough resources in their state? No, we don't even have a single Latino center in the whole state of New Hampshire. Every every single ethnic organization, that ethnic group that comes here have the funding for the organization. They do? Oh, yeah. Everybody, from, you know, the churches or I don't know where they get money. But Latinos, like in Manchester, the Latino center was closed like 14 years ago. They ran out of funds and nobody, you know, it's like we're out of fashion. When I first came here, we were in fashion. So there was money for Latinos all over the place. But now we're out of fashion, so there's there's no there's no money to do anything uh, with Latinos per se, which is really frustrating. So you know, a few of us end up being the walking Latino centers and doing the same thing. Because if anybody calls me, I'm not gonna say no. Uh, and you know, we have Alejandro, we have Marta here, so people that that help the community, and even though we're not paid for it, uh, you know how. Who else is going to do it? So if anybody is listening, we need funding to, to know because we are the largest minority here or at least, uh, you know, the immigrant minority. And, and uh, there's nothing for us here. We just wrote a letter to the Secretary of State to see if he'd be willing to at least translate all these materials, the electoral material, into Spanish, and he very politely said, no, I don't need to because you need to be 5%, uh, you know, in a county and, you know, between Nashville Nashua and Manchester, the, the largest populations are in two different, in two different uh, sectors. Uh, yeah, so, you know, no, I don't need to do it. So just because you're not obligated to do it doesn't mean you should not do it, right? Absolutely. But that's one more barrier. <clears throat> That that would put, and then you know, how do you find your information if you do not speak the language? If you're not computer savvy, like with this COVID, I'm part of the equity I was just gonna ask task force that. in COVID nineteen, and you see how you know, um, and in a way, it's good that it happened uh, that we have this task force because it really you can no longer deny the inequities that exist in the systems. You go to employment security, yes, we have a page in Spanish, but you have to spend 20 minutes and be really savvy to find out the, that page. And everywhere else, you know, in school, you see how how's a parent that doesn't know how to read or write in their own language, let alone English, that has never seen a computer, uh, that doesn't know how to... How is a parent like that expected to help their children in school? Right. How is a parent like like this woman that called me yesterday that has to go to work every day and leave their children at home studying? How is she supposed to 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 help the kids? Don't get me going on the treatment that we get in the hospitals. Mm. Many times the doctors refuse to even examine the patient. I have seen it when Why? I when I because it's it's, it's just the differential treatment that we get. Is it because they don't have papers or because they don't have insurance? Well, they, they don't know. We don't walk around. We don't walk around, you know, with our papers tattooed in our butts or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, really, how do they know? But I see it. I see it. And I have been seeing that for over 30 years when I used to go to the hospital four and five times a day with people, you know, with all kinds of people when I worked as an interpreter. How do you feel about the laws of immigration in the state of New Hampshire? And do you feel that we can do better? Well, immigration is a federal issue. 
So, you know, whatever uh, laws, don't, immigration laws do not, uh, you know, we really don't, we, but we can influence our, our state reps. Mm. And what happens with immigration is that we're always immigrants were used as the bargaining chip. So they sneak all kinds of things, you know, in order to get this, they always throw us under the bus. So we need to, to start calling on our reps and telling them, no, you, you know, but the more people that call, they usually get calls from the anti-immigrants, but they don't get too many calls from the pro-immigrant side, even though we have a lot of support. So they need to hear from us, too. So they start really acting and, and defending immigrants and immigration. Otherwise, we're not going to change. But our state in recent years, like I see a big change in police departments realizing that at first it's not their job to be enforcing immigration law. You know, their job is to to enforce criminal law, and, and you know, so it really makes no why no sense for them to call immigration on somebody that's driving without a license that hasn't committed any crime. Mm. So you know, little by little, police departments have begun to realize that you know it, it's totally uh, ridiculous for them to to try to do that, and if the community is a lot safer when they feel trust in the police and that they feel that the police is going to to protect them and not throw them under the bus. How do you feel about immigrants uh, that come to the United States full of degrees in medicine, science, and education, and and what is their treatment like from experience? Like I said before, you know, moving to a different country, uh, the hardest thing I I think is losing your social capital. Mm. You come here and, and you're nobody. In many careers, like if you're an attorney, if you're a doctor, uh, you know, there's so many barriers. You cannot practice any of that here. And, and the systems are, you know, uh, also very uh, exclu- excluding of people like that. So I've, I have many cases of friends that have their professions that could very easily be, you know, exercised here and and. Just because they they have a different uh, language or they you know their English is not uh, accentless or whatever they're given different. Or of course, nobody's gonna tell them that you know right. you're overqualified because I've heard some of that. You're oh, yeah, overqualified. You're, yeah, you're overqualified, so I'm not giving you the job. They, you know, people are very savvy too. Why yeah. how they exclude you? You know, but we all know what the bottom line is. Uh, so it's very hard, very difficult, especially for doctors. We have. You know, and it's, you practically have to, to go, I don't know how many more years to, to college here in order to practice medicine. And not everybody has the luxury of time and money that that entails. So another system that needs to, to be changed. Wow. You're absolutely right. How do you, how do you feel that uh, the powers of dynamic when it comes to certain situations within, you know, representation and the Latino that is a a first gen or has the paperwork. What do you, what do you think that the shift is that they don't communicate? If they see something, why won't they be an advocate for their loved one? If they don't, if they don't have nothing to fear within their own status, they're American. Yeah, they're American, but they have been, uh, raised in their own bubble, away from the mainstream America. 
so and they have you know they have been raised with this subliminal messaging that you do not count so you know if that is totally worthless to fight that you know things are not going to change that i don't you know no one's going to listen to me that uh, i'm powerless so if that's what you're bombarded with all your life you know is it any surprise that that you behave that way you know, you have to be stubborn and you have to be a real rebel to say, no, ah, I'm not conforming to, to this, to your low expectations and to your, you know, this is not who I am. But uh, not many people even are willing to step out of that. We're, we're getting in, in uh, really close calls here with uh, election is right around the corner. What do you tell those individuals the Latino community, the Hispanic community, what do you tell them that they can do uh, and, and, and take action in these times right now to, to really make their voices heard? First of all, I think everybody that has the right to vote should exercise that right. I'm not about to tell people who to vote right. for, uh, but I want people to educate themselves. Mm. And realize that not one single candidate is going to meet every single thing. Just take your priorities and see what your priorities are and take the time to study those candidates that will represent your values and your priorities the best. Because a lot of people just marry themselves to one party or are a single issue voter and they don't realize that that single issue, yes, maybe that person doesn't agree with me, but then they shoot themselves in the foot with every other issue or they shoot the families in the foot with all the other issues. Mm -hmm. So take the time to educate yourself. That's knowledge is power. But every single person that has the right to vote whether they're registered or not, and we're so lucky in New Hampshire that we can vote, you know, register to the same day of the election, we should, everybody walk out and do it because until we have enough voting power here, politics are not going to take us too seriously. And it starts with you, the individuals that are listening out there. Um, As we move forward, you know, remote learning and we're kind of disconnected you know there's no there's no gatherings do you feel that there's there's going to be a struggle within that like the mother like you said last night um and and what can the schools do to help that that individual that is disconnected and that relies on the child to translate and and be and relate what they're going through within the education system well they should at least recognize that there is a gap and it might be unintentional, but it is still there and it doesn't change the results. And, and, you know, there are no easy answers because the mother still has to go to work and those kids still have to, to go, you know, to stay home and, and, and do work on their own. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but you know, everything starts by recognizing that there is a problem in getting together, maybe with those people and, and figure, and you know, with a diverse community and figuring out how we work together to figure out how to solve this big issue that, that this pandemic has brought to life. I know that you said that there was no Latino role models, but do you feel that there can be something in place 
and where can we uh, better represent our community? Well, right now, you know, we have you, <laughs> we have Manny, we have Carlos Cardona, we, you know, that, that are running for state reps, and Manny is already a state rep. So they have something uh, as far as government, and, and the school districts should really make a better effort to hire uh, people of color in different in different capacities. You know, if you don't have, even as a teacher's aide or even as a filing clerk or mm-hmm. something, other than, than just, you know, service, 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 always, we're at the bottom of the ladder. And, and also, for Latinos, we should forget about trying to pretend to be something that we're not. Being Latino is not a shame. You, we should all be proud of being who we are regardless. Instead of trying to anglicize our names and pretend, you know, putting distance between us and the, and the bulk of the Latinos, wear it with pride. Right. You know, I don't use my husband's name because I want to be identified for who I am. And I would have had a much easier. And in fact, I test it all the time. And if I use my husband's name and I anglicize my name, I'm treated so much better than Eva Castillo. You know? But that's not the issue. That's not what it's all about, the comfort. I want to to make sure that that we are treated by as equals. And your husband's not Latino, correct? No, my husband is French-Canadian descent from born and raised in Manchester. Okay. So if I call myself Eva Turgeon, I'm treated so much better than Eva Castillo. You know? But yeah. I'm not, you know, I can have many husbands. I only have one father. And I'm going to honor his name forever. That's right. And I'm going to honor my roots until the day I die. You know, in, in Spanish, we have a we, we have a saying called uh, uh, rebelde sin causa. Yep. Rebel without a cause. But in this case, you're a rebel with a cause. And you're, you're definitely pushing the needle forward for all of us. And we're so thankful uh, that you can be a part of this amazing state. But doing an amazing job representing us and pushing us forward. Well, but you're going to be pushing that needle with me. Absolutely. Where can anybody reach you? Uh, call me at 661-2873. That's my number. Everybody can find it or Google it. I'm what, there. What's next? What's next? We need to be uh, fighting for driver's licenses for everybody. I'll let you know. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You guys are listening to First Gen America.